everyone, it's Katie and welcome back to the Miss Independent Podcast. I'm here with my co-host Nika and today we're going to be talking about how to get through a market downturn. So before we can get into how to handle emotions and the market, let's talk about what's actually going on in the market right now. And before we talk about May, um, it's as this episode comes out, it's going to be June 2nd, 2021. Let's move a little bit further back and talk about April because that's where this picture really, really starts to form. So back in April, corporate earnings season really sparked a pretty big rally on Wall Street. If you look at the Dow Jones Industrial Average, that grew by 2.7%. Um, if you're not familiar with the Dow, just a quick reminder, it's an index of the top 30 companies in the US. Um, the S&P 500, which Katie and I talk about all the time, grew by 5.24%. The NASDAQ Composite, which actually includes the Dow Jones and the S&P 500, grew by 5% also. So there's, there's these signs of market recovery. Right. All of these earnings come out. People um, and analysts are anticipating them to be lower. So they just are blown out the water. Um, there's a lot of other signs of recovery with you know jobs coming out. There's a report that I was reading the other day and there's a, a pretty big spike in retail sales and people are moving. There's a spike in housing. So the number of vaccines that are coming out, it's all influencing the market positively. So in the first half of May, it was clear that we were in a bull market. But analysts were really, really hesitant and thought that that was going to end. And the main reason why is because of inflation. The Fed or the Federal Reserve System, if you're not familiar, their whole job is to basically monitor or conduct monetary policy. So their job is to manage inflation. It's to make sure that as many people in America are employed and their aim is to stabilize interest rates. So it's basically like the governing body uh, or the governing banking system. So the Fed is saying that any inflation that we're seeing right now or any inflation that's going to arise is all transitionary because we've just gone through this massive economic downturn. And there's a lot of conversation right now that's happening about inflation and people are questioning whether it is transitionary or something called layered inflation, meaning that it's going to affect supply chains all across the board. And we're already starting to see this. Um, I had a really interesting conversation with a car dealership the other day and they were telling me about a shortage in semiconductors that is affecting the number of cars that are coming into their lot. So they don't have enough cars to sell, even though people are still wanting to buy cars. And it's crazy because we're seeing this with lumber. I mean, everybody knows the price of lumber has just skyrocketed recently, but it's not just lumber, it's other supply chains that are being affected. And so expert analysts and economists are gonna start looking into the supply chain issues that we're seeing and they're they're wanting to track them long-term to see if this is transitionary inflation like the Fed says, even though they printed 22% of the circulating US dollar in 2020, which just, I, I can't comprehend how they're saying that inflation is gonna be as low as it is when 22% of the money supply was printed last year. Um, but that's, that's a side note. And the market is actually feeling the sentiment. So on May 12th, we've had a pretty big pullback, um, roughly about, you know, 2%. So not not massive, but enough for, for the volatility index and for the general market sentiment and people to be thinking that, okay, inflation may be a problem and hyperinflation could be something that we're going to experience. So the market's reacting to this. Everything is interconnected. We don't necessarily understand exactly how all the time, but when the stock market started to react to this information and for people to really start questioning inflation, for volatility to increase, 
the crypto market was also affected. And so after May 12th, we saw a pretty big decline. And now where we are, things are slowly starting to pick up again. But inflation is still something that's a pretty big concern and is top of mind for a lot of market analysts. So that gives you guys a pretty good understanding of what's going on in the market. It was kind of like a crash course in five minutes, just a quick update. And let's talk about how to react to that information because everybody who is holding something is affected by it in one way or another um, in the sense that if you're you know holding cryptocurrencies maybe you bought it at the peak and so you're seeing this cryptocurrency just crash and thinking to yourself man why did I buy what am I gonna do with this especially if you're a new investor you're probably going through this as well so let's talk about some strategies and ways to handle emotions and the market. The first thing that you want to think about is the fact that the market performs in patterns. So if you zoom out, if you're not looking six months at a time, if you're looking five, 10, 15 years at a time, you'll notice visual patterns. And that's something that always you want to keep in mind, whether you're a trader or a long-term investor, those two strategies are very different. You can be both. You want to have a view of the market depending on what kind of position you're taking and what your strategy is. What we want to get across in this episode is to remind you guys that when you're making investment decisions, it's so critical to use your thinking brain and your rational brain rather than your emotional brain. It's very easy to make decisions based on emotions and that can cause some pretty poor decision making. After listening to the market update, now you kind of have a picture of what's going on in the market and why people are reacting the way that they are. And I want you to think about what you think is going to happen in the next two years, three years, like years down the line. So depending on how long you're planning to hold those investments for, everything that's going on right now probably isn't going to be a huge factor if you're zooming out. Yeah, one of the things... Nika and I talk about a lot and we find it so bizarre that a lot of investors seem to buy investments at market highs and sell their investments during these downturns when there are pullbacks and when they're when their stock prices are at all-time lows. And I've come to the conclusion that people behave like this for two reasons. I think that a lot of people invest if we even want to call most of what people are doing nowadays investing based on emotion, which Nika talked about, whether that be greed or fear. And I think another reason people behave like this is because people aren't investing these days on fundamentals. A lot of people invest in these stocks because they see them blow up on Reddit or their friends are hyping them up but actually have no idea what the stock is or what the company they're investing in does. And by investing in stocks and companies that you're not familiar with, you underestimate the risk associated with the investing, leading to you and other people making poor decisions based on emotion. Katie said something in there that was really key that I just wanna highlight. The two most common emotions that cloud people's decision-making are fear and greed. A lot of the times when you look back at some of the investment decisions that you've made, when you look back and you're like, damn, I wish I didn't do that. I wish I held or I wish I sold, whatever that decision is. 
a lot of the times it comes down to either fear or greed. If you buy a tech company, for example, or um, or some sort of cryptocurrency, and it goes on a massive bull run, it's so difficult to tell yourself to sell because you're seeing it consistently go up and skyrocket. And just as fast as stocks go up, they can go down just as quick. So if that same position plummets, you're now probably telling yourself, man, I should have sold. So that greed of not selling, of waiting for it to continuously go up and think I'm going to rack in more and more of a profit, that's what's stopping you from making a rational decision. In that moment, when that stock starts to go up, why do you think it's going to continuously go up? Have you done your research? Do you know why the company's revenues are going to consistently go up? Or are you basing the decision off of hype? Exactly. And the most important thing to have as an investor, whether that be a trader or a long-term investor such as Nika and I, is to have a clear entry plan and a clear exit strategy. And what I mean by that is having a clear entry plan allows you to enter the market at a time you deem the stock is a good buy or, you know, on sale. And having a clear exit strategy, for example, setting price targets for when you want to sell is super important because that keeps you from investing with emotions and it helps you avoid thinking with greed. Katie, I want to talk about Palantir because I feel like that was the last time that we spoke about a stock where you were really strategic about your entrance and exit points. And I remember you going to your brokerage, setting limits for how much you wanted to buy and sell the stock for. I haven't sold it yet. No? No. It's so down. I know. Um, yeah, I have almost 15, over 15K USD in that stock. And you know what? I'm, I'm okay with holding it. As a general rule of thumb, guys, do not invest what you can't afford to lose. And as an investor, not a trader, an investor, you should not invest in a stock unless you have an investment horizon of at least five years, preferably longer, five to 10 years. So I've done my research research on Palantir. I love the company. I love what they're doing. I love the contracts they have. They're reporting great earnings. I see this as a long-term stock that's going to blow up. And even though my average cost of the stock was something like $29 um, USD, I'm okay with holding it right now. I feel a little dumb for, you know, not waiting. I should have um, dollar cost average and kept buying and buying when it dipped. But I saw a great entry point after, you know, it's run up to $40 and I bought majority of them in the $29 range. And I'm okay with holding it right now because I see this as a great value long-term play. That's the beauty of investing though. Unless you've sold the stock, you haven't actually incurred a loss. And if you're someone that hates seeing red whenever you open your banking app, I mean, everybody hates seeing red, try not to open it. If you have a longer time horizon and you know that you're going to own this stock or this company for a while and you have a long-term time horizon, just don't open your banking app because that way you're not going to be negatively affected by it. The other thing I want to unpack there that Katie said is dollar cost averaging, which is basically adding to your position over time to reduce the average cost at which you bought each share at. Great strategy that helps you reduce risk. Whenever I want to invest in something long-term, I always try to dollar cost average over whether it's a period of months or days, depending on 
what it actually is. So if I'm buying an index, for example, I'm doing it over a much longer time period. I reshared something that David Greenberg posted on his story the other day, and he was commenting on dollar cost averaging and how there's dollar cost averaging and then there's adding to a bad position. The funny thing is you don't always know which one you're doing. And dollar cost averaging is a good strategy to do some research on regardless because it helps you minimize your risk. So when I was uh, coming into an Ethereum position, um, Ethereum is something that I see a lot of value in personally long term just because of the the framework that it has and, and all of the development possibilities and all of these other things that are built on top of it. So it's something that I find value in, especially if you're comparing different cryptocurrencies, Ethereum uses much less power. So I've been dollar cost averaging into Ethereum for a while. Again, this is not financial advice. I'm just sharing some of the things that I'm doing and I'm explaining what dollar cost averaging is from an educational perspective, um, especially with crypto because it's so volatile, dollar cost averaging allows you to minimize risk. So if you wanted to put some money into um, cryptocurrencies from your retirement account if you're in Canada your RSP if you're in the US your Roth IRA and let's say you wanted to get some exposure to the cryptocurrency because you can't buy a cryptocurrency on you know the regular stock market you can buy an ETF that tracks that and instead of just putting a one-time amount or or a large sum of money towards Ethereum or whatever ETF you want to buy you can dollar cost average where you're buying smaller amounts of it over time the reason why you want to avoid this is i'll give you an example like my boyfriend alex on may 11th decided to put some money into a crypto etf and then on may 12th the crypto market had a massive pullback so had he dollar cost averaged he would have been in a much better position now it's recovering a little bit but it still just shows you the impact of you know investing in something consistently it brings down your risk yeah, dollar cost averaging is a great approach, but I think another great approach that we also talk a lot on the podcast about is diversification. And by implementing diversification, it allows you to make more consistent decisions that aren't driven by emotion. What I mean by diversification is it's a great idea to purchase not just growth stocks, but as we talked about before, more defensive non-cyclical stocks that generally perform better than the overall market during these bad times or bear markets. These types of stocks provide a consistent dividend and stable earnings, regardless of the state of the overall market. And as I've mentioned many times before, these dividend paying stocks are amazing because you're always being rewarded for your time in the market by giving you a steady cash flow every month or every quarter, even during these market crashes or during these bad times, assuming the company has not prepped their dividend. So you will always be paid to wait until the market regulates and picks back up again. Katie, the problem is that nowadays people just want to buy altcoins and Dogecoin and go to the moon. People aren't looking at fundamentals like we said, and they definitely don't want to buy boomer stocks. It's actually what somebody commented on one of our reels when we were talking about dividends which i found was hilarious so when you're young you can definitely take on more risk and that's why go and be curious and look into cryptocurrencies and all these new alternative assets but also don't forget the fundamentals and those stocks that are going to ground your portfolio everybody's risk tolerance is different so if your investment is keeping you up at night then it's probably 
a sign that that isn't something that's going to work for you. Like I have one friend, for example, that's an investment broker and he's just started looking into crypto a few months back and he bought some Bitcoin and he was holding it and everything else that he invests in is like mutual funds, dividend paying stocks, really mature companies and the S&P 500. And so he decided to buy some crypto, held it for maybe a week because he, he really couldn't stomach the volatility. So everybody is different. Everybody's risk tolerance is different. And we know that our main audience group is 25 to 35 years old. If I was to pull up our analytics right now, that is like our peak demographic or peak group of listeners, KK. So while it's people just like me and you, people that are younger. And for us, we've got a longer time horizon. We're not retiring anytime soon. So any type of investments that we're making, we can take on more risk. And that's why like Katie and I don't talk about bonds, for example. I don't know about you, Katie, but I actually don't have any bonds. Um, but we do still have very diversified portfolios. And that's why whenever we do our stock analysis, Katie always tries to pick companies that are more mature, that are going to um, be companies that you might not necessarily look at or do research into because they're not the sexiest, but they do have very strong fundamentals. Another great reason why you want to diversify is that not every stock is going to be a winner. Or not every stock is going to be a winner at the same time, right? Because I can look at my portfolio right now and I have a lot in the green and a lot in the red. That reminds me of the Silver Mines ETF. I talked about this a little bit when we chatted with Marco um, about Bitcoin and just crypto in general. But I mentioned I listened to the Joe Rogan podcast and Peter Schiff, who is a big proponent of gold and precious metals, was on his podcast talking about how inflation is going to affect us significantly and the only real hedge against inflation are precious metals. And so I saw that everybody was investing in gold. Gold had really rallied and was on a huge bull run. And so I thought, I'm going to be different and invest in silver. And to date, that has been my worst investment decision. But I haven't sold yet, so I guess I haven't fully incurred the loss. And like Katie said, it hasn't been a winner yet. But if inflation continues to go up and we don't know how it's actually going to play out, then it might actually be a significant hedge. Who knows? And I just want to also let you guys know, you can do everything right and still have stocks come up short and you can still lose money. Nothing is ever guaranteed, even though we preach long-term investing and how great it is and you know, looking at fundamentals and, and being a very informed investor, you can do all these things and the stock can still go to shit. My first stock ever I purchased a large amount of Laurentian bake. And I purchased it at the high around 50, 53, 50, 50 something dollars. Around there, $53. And, you know, unforeseen things happened where there was lawsuits and other things came up and the stock price took a huge hit. And I think for the longest time up until recently, it was like half of what I paid for it and my portfolio was down significantly. However, since the stock was a dividend-paying stock, I was still receiving that cash flow every year, every quarter, and it did give me some ease because I was I was being paid to wait until my stock recovered to that price. It's still not recovered to what I paid for it. I'm still in the red with that stock but I am being paid to wait until that stock recovers and goes back to what 
hopefully goes back to what I initially bought it at. But I'm sorry, I got a little sidetracked there. But the point I'm trying to make is there's always going to be risk. Even if you do everything right, you know, buy the book, there's still a chance that you can lose money. And you just need to keep that into consideration when putting your money into the stock market. Anything can happen. I mean, look at this pandemic. Nobody anticipated it. But the one thing that I will say is if you're worried about an individual stock, look at history and look at the markets in the past 35 years. The dip between the highs and lows has been 14 points on average or 14%. But the market ended higher than it started 27 of those 35 years. So the best way to truly diversify is just to bet on the market as a whole. And you could do that through buying index funds or ETFs if you're in Canada that track index funds. The last point I wanted to add on all this is staying the course through short-term volatility often is the key to longer-term success. Just let that sink in for a sec. And one of my favorite strategies during a bear market is to literally play dead. (laughs) It is the same protocol as if you met like a real grizzly bear in real life in the woods. Fighting back would be very dangerous. So by staying calm and not making any sudden movements, you'll save yourself from becoming a bear's lunch, if that makes sense. So if you're not the type of person who, you know, wants to add to a position because they see a dip, the best thing to do is just not to do anything. Oh, that was so good. Yeah, if you don't know what to do next and you are paralyzed by fear, the best thing to do is just to do nothing. And while we're on the topic of fear, please, for the love of God, do not make your decisions based off of FOMO. If somebody is telling you to invest in something, how do you know what due diligence they've done? How do you know what research they've done? So always do your own research and don't just invest in something because someone else told you or because you are afraid to miss out. And there's a saying that actually applies to this, buy the rumors, sell the news, because by the time something becomes newsworthy, everybody has access to it. By the time it's mainstream, everybody's been exposed to it and it's already priced into the market most likely. That's a great quote. Jeez. I like that. Yeah. Um, It was actually really funny when I told my boyfriend we were going to do an episode um, on, you know, investing with emotions and fear. He was like, this this episode is about me (laughs) because my boyfriend is the type to get very emotional about his investments and his money. He would call me every day at lunch being like, my stocks are up. I've made this much money or my stocks are down. And I think that's the worst type of investor you can be. I think that, and this is why we preach long-term investing, right? You shouldn't be focusing on the day-to-day fluctuations. You should be zoomed out of that. You shouldn't be checking your portfolio every two minutes, every hour. You should just, you know, check it periodically, maybe, you know, set certain times for yourself when you want to check it at the end of the day, at the end of the week. But it's really important to avoid looking at the day-to-day fluctuations or the minute-to-minute fluctuations because that can really mess with your head sometimes. I think the reason why Max was so emotionally involved in his positions was because he was looking to buy real estate. And so he was using his investment accounts um, kind of like as a savings account to keep his money towards his down payment and to grow it 
before he was actually ready to purchase, which isn't a bad strategy if you've got time to work with because, again, the market's going to fluctuate. And if you can't stomach those fluctuations, that might negatively affect you down the line. And if you can't stomach the volatility, and some people can't, you know, because some people are just inherently very emotional, especially when it comes to their money, then you should not be in the stock market because it will drive you crazy. It drove my boyfriend crazy. It caused him a lot of stress. It's not for everyone. The good thing is there's lots of ways to make money. And we talk about a lot of them on our podcast doesn't necessarily need to be through investing in the stock market. It's just something that Katie and I are passionate about, but there's also entrepreneurship. You can buy real estate. There's all kinds of different ways to build generational wealth. It doesn't have to be solely through the markets. Since this whole episode is on learning how to handle your emotions in the stock market, and we've talked about a lot of great tips, I do want to add just one more, and that's the fact that stocks don't love you back. So a great example of this is like my dad and Tesla. I'm I've mentioned this before. My dad was an early investor in Tesla. My dad absolutely worships Elon Musk for some reason and had an opportunity to sell Tesla at a certain price point, but didn't. And it's so easy to do that, right? To find a stock that you love because you believe in what the company stands for, but you've got to realize that the company doesn't love you back. And that's why I preached having a clear exit strategy. You may be a long-term investor, and love the stock you're investing in, but you need to set a price target for yourself as well and be realistic. For example, he could be long on Tesla and be a long-term investor in Tesla, but if he sees that the price of Tesla is like reaching new highs and is probably overvalued, then he should already have had that price target in mind. Like if it reaches, let's say over 800 or a thousand or whatever at the time, I'm selling. And at that point, I'm taking my profit and I'm reinvesting it somewhere else or holding the cash. You never go broke taking a profit. And I think people should always keep that in mind. And that is one of the key ways for getting through a market downturn. We've talked about all of them now. So you guys have an ample amount of resources to to learn how to deal with the emotional side of trading because Losing money is not a pleasant thing that nobody wants to experience. Everybody just wants to grow their money, but sometimes you do, you do have to take losses. And so there's three things that we talked about today, just to summarize one, keep your emotions out of it Two, think ahead and three trade what you can afford. And guys, we hope that helped. We're going to be throwing in some of our own experiences just because I think that's the best way to learn. Like that's literally a shortcut to, learning is just to see what what people have done and how they failed the only there's no shortcut to success but the only shortcut and you can't see me doing air quotes right now but but i just did some air quotes the only shortcut there is to success is through learning about other people's failures and katie and i have made every mistake in the book that's why we started this podcast is because we want to teach people and have them learn from our mistakes and just share the knowledge because you know a lot of these things no one's going to tell you And you guys are so lucky because with these podcasts or with these resources out there, you're not starting from zero. When I was 18 and starting to invest and putting money into my TFSA, 
there wasn't as much material out there. There was still material out there that I had to sift through on the internet, but now with all the resources available to us, you're not starting from zero. Listening to our mistakes, listening to these podcasts, you're already multiple steps ahead of we were when we started investing. So don't take that for granted, guys. Listen, absorb as much as you can and make really good informed decisions, especially when it comes to your money. But as Nika said, sorry, go ahead and diversify your resources guys like we um try to put a lot of content out there but we do have a specific strategy that we take part in like i said we're long-term investors we talk about that all the time everything that we post comes from that angle from having a long time horizon so katie and i don't take on a huge amount of risk we're comfortable with risk more more than most people i would say but we don't take on a huge amount of risk we don't for example trade altcoins and cryptocurrencies that we don't fully understand um so find people from all kinds of different experiences and strategies and, and follow them and interact with what they're sharing um, because not everybody is going to have the, the same approach. One thing that I do want to say is like exactly what Katie said, don't, don't take the information for granted. Um, back in the day to, you know, learn any of this kind of stuff, you had to go and talk to an investment um, specialist. And even then they would tell you to just buy mutual funds. They wouldn't, explain a lot of these strategies. They're, they'd be written in books, sure, but a lot of people don't prioritize reading. So the fact that you've got so many different outlets like Instagram and social media and you know even the, the TikToks and Reels, like those are great ways to absorb information. I had a conversation with my mom the other day and she got really emotional because she's like, Nicole, I listened to your dividends episode and it was, it was really good. But back when I, when we first moved to Canada, the company that I started working at, it was called Russell Metals. They're a publicly traded company. Um, she was constantly um, buying their stock, and but they were trading it, my parents. They were buying it and they were selling it. And that stock paid a pretty hefty dividend. And they didn't, they, my mom was saying, she's like, I didn't even know what a dividend was at the time. And had she held on to that stock and consistently bought more, she could have had a passive dividend income stream from that. But she was, she was, the reason why she got so emotional is because she said, Nicole, no one told me this. No one told me that this was even a strategy that I could have tried. And like, I was, I had those stocks in my portfolio. And so, like I said, don't take this information for granted because a lot of people don't have access to it one or they don't seek it out. So make sure you guys give yourself a pat on the back because- or even just listening to this. <laughs> 100%. We appreciate all of you guys. Thank you so much for listening. and. Until next time, guys. Bye.